Right now, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. It's actually easy. It's the first page of the Bible. And I'm actually going to read verse 1 and 2, um, if you don't mind. Um, uh, uh, I'm tempted to do this. Maybe I'll do it anyway. You know, I'm a Hebrew professor, right? So I teach Hebrew. So in our Hebrew classes, when I, when I have taught them in the past, we actually read this in Hebrew. So it starts off, Bereshit bara Elohim et hashemayim et haaretz. Ve haaretz haitatohu vavohu. Ve hoshek al panei tichom. Ve ruach merahefet al panei chamayim. And that's the Hebrew of the first two verses. What that means is, in my own translation, is in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, but the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the surface or the face of the waters, but the Spirit of God hovered over, I mean, darkness was over the face of the deep, but the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. So I'm not trying to show off or anything. That's just what I do. That's what I've been doing for 30-some years. So I kind of like to, to think of that. Uh, I want us to talk about this. This is um, a little uh, alert here. This is a little bit more of a topical message than it is an expository message. But we will look at that verse, especially Genesis 1-1 in the middle of the sermon as we talk through it. And also, I want everybody to realize that I'm not against um, public education. I'm not going to rant and rave over it because I am a product of it. And uh, God blessed me uh, with a great uh, group of teachers and a great education, a great opportunity. It was free. I remember um, the first time I went to public school number 84 in Baltimore City. And um, I had several compassionate teachers one of whom I tried to tell what to do and wound up getting expelled from school for that day. But uh, they, were, they were good teachers. But I do remember in 1963 when our teacher came into class and told us that she could no longer pray in class. And I think that we do have a problem in our society and uh, as it stands right now, we need an essential truth that the public school cannot teach us. It's not geared towards that. It's not ch uh, chartered towards that. And that's why the church needs to step up to the plate and teach what I consider to be the key fundamental principle for all of life. If you want to be successful in life, successful in all that you do, then you need to understand this key fundamental principle that is the basis of what we call a biblical worldview. So interestingly enough, just recently a uh, poll was taken, a survey was taken by George Barner, and some of you may have heard of him or not. George Barner does all these polls, and he determined that only 6% of Americans actually have a biblical worldview. And that includes Christians among that, actually have a biblical worldview. Uh, and that means that they don't believe in the power or the existence even of the Holy Spirit. 
I got a couple of items here that he said. Um, they, uh, they reject a number of biblical teachings and principles. Um, 61% of, of all the so-called Christians believe that all religious faiths are equal. And 60% said if a person is good enough or does enough good things, they can earn their way into heaven. 25% uh, said there is no moral truth. And those are the so-called Christians in America, as well as all of Americans. I think we need to kind of understand that if we are going to be an essential church, if we're going to be a successful church, if we're going to do what God would have us to do, we need to realize that it isn't that it, we're just trying to please a guy by the name of God or Elohim, as I read in this text, whether we call him Yahweh or whatever, it's not that he's just one among many different gods and we happen to particularly like him and hope he'll like us. It's the fact that there is a key fundamental truth of all of life that God and God alone is the creator and sustainer of all of life. And that is very significant for us today because it means that there is no other way to solve our issues or problems unless we go to the one who created us. You may or may not have heard of Corey Brooks, I think his name is. He is a pastor in Chicago who is livid over the struggles in his neighborhood of poverty and murder and, and prostitution and drugs. So what he did recently, he got up on top of the roof of his church and he's been preaching to the world. Only one um, news media, by the way, that I know of follows him and actually tells you what he's saying. And his basic point of view is the things, that money we've thrown out, the government that we've put into place, um, all of these things do not solve the problems we have. There's only one way to solve that, and he spells it F-A-I-T-H, faith in God who created us. Our nation really is in an interesting state of turmoil. Some problems are there. You know it. You listen to it every night on the news, depending on which side you get. And this particular set of problems won't go away because we throw more money at it or because we believe in certain kinds of philosophies, but it will be addressed and solved when we come to the creator God who made us and we seek to know his son whom he gave to, for us to die on the cross. And we become subservient to him, a disciple of his, a servant of Jesus Christ. And we follow the biblical principles that are uh, listed or presented to us as a real, true biblical worldview. And then you'll be successful in life. Then we'll be successful in life. Now, don't get me wrong. I think uh, I had a great public education, but public and modern education is not built on a biblical worldview. It's built on what is called a humanistic worldview. From John Dewey and, and, and uh, Joseph uh, Horace Mann, who developed the philosophy of modern educational uh, processes, they both held to what was called humanism. Humanism says man is the measure of all things. Man can save himself. 
Man has the ability to create things and know all things, and that is not true. Man cannot make himself. We cannot save ourselves. We don't even really and truly know the measure of all things. The issue about modern education is that it has a different value system from years ago. And that value system starting in the Renaissance and the Enlightenment and around 1850s when the teachers began to espouse or suggest that we should espouse this humanistic worldview and really until the 1920s when John Dewey was writing was to suggest that the wisdom of man is capable and able to solve all of our problems. In fact, Horace Mann said in 1850 that secular education, the humanistic secular education that he espoused would solve all of the problems of crime and poverty in 100 years. That was in 1850. And here it is 2022 and we still have those problems. In 1980, they spent $140 billion on education. You know what we spent last year? approximately $870 billion. That, that comes out to be just, just shy of $15,000 per student on the average. And yet, there's worse scores, there's rampant problems in school districts. Not all of the school districts, ours and some others are great, but there's problems in some of our major cities and problems in our culture. This is simply because we have decided in our culture to consider and place our trust in a human worldview. That's number one. The human worldview um, is really uh, an idea that says man can learn everything and know everything, usually through empirical science, that is necessary to live life. But when we look down into it, it does not admit to the existence of God, nor even how to measure God's existence, because it rules out automatically faith and God's existence. In other words, there are five basic tenets of humanism that go are diametrically opposed to Chapter 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There are five tenets that um, are presented in humanism, and you basically need to know this if you don't know it already. I realize I might be preaching to the choir in some respects, but it seems that if only 6% of American Christians actually have a biblical worldview, I don't think that uh, that is true. I think it's necessary to remind you of this. Um, and the question is, why should we be uh, surprised that these things go on the, in the world when we understand the worldview actually allows that and even applauds it? Number one is atheism. Um, secular humanism is actually a religion that destroys and rejects the idea of God. Sometimes it's just sort of wishy-washy that say, well, maybe God does exist. That's agnosticism, but we can't know him. He's kind of out there. Maybe he's an old grandfather sitting in a rocking chair watching us. 
But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible tells us as we read it that God is intimately involved in the affairs of his creation, including our lives. But secular humanism says that there is no God. And the only thing that there is to life, well, maybe there might be a God, but the only thing that there is to life is what we know, what we can learn, what we can judge. So it really becomes ourselves become God because it's what we know. And so they value all of that where humans become the measure of all things. The second principle of, of uh, secular humanism is evolution. People don't realize that they bought into uh, Horace Mann and, and John Dewey actually bought into Darwin's evolutionary philosophy. If there is no God, the question would be, how did, were we created? And you have to understand that if you take God out of the equation, all of these things become very logical. So if God isn't there, the question is, how, how did we come to be? So Darwin suggested evolution. Um, humanists advocate this. Um, for them, it is not just a theory, but it's truth. And they'll teach the quote-unquote truth of evolution because it's based on their ideas that man can decide how it happened without the existence of God. Evolution means that our life and who we are developed independent of any kind of God, except some of them actually think there were aliens who came down to earth and seeded the, the humans. I mean, that's, that's true. One of the greatest uh, scientists, I think, is, uh, suggested that that was the case. But they don't want to suggest there's a God. They just want to say, well, it's evolution. The third principle is amorality or amorality. Not morality, but amorality. If there is no God, then really no one can tell us what's right or wrong. It's all relative to you, to the circumstance. There are no absolute. So if it feels good and it helps you, just do it. So... For example, what you do in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas, right? Just do it, because if, it, if it's right for you, do it. Um, it also decides that there's a me-first generation. In other words, amorality or amorality says that if there is no moral, um, uh, ethical behavior that is expected of us, then we get to do whatever we want to do. So me-first says I can have whatever I want to have, and do whatever I want to do because it's really me that judges whether it's good or bad. So you have all kinds of things that are happening because of the self-centeredness of man, including things like abortion, which means I can just get rid of it and don't worry about it. Because there is no right or wrong. There is no sin. There is no one who will judge us. There is no one who will tell us that what we do is wrong. It just fits within our culture, within our nurture, and where we are, and therefore we should never, ever judge, never, ever say anything about anybody else because there is no ethical rights or wrong. The fourth tenet is autonomous man. Autonomous man means that you lift up man on a pedestal and bow to mankind as the key uh, controller and creator of the world. Man creates his own world. Man can be self-contented, self-centered, and self-sufficient, self-authenticated. 
Uh, feeling is important. Reality, responsibility is not important. Selfishness is lifted up to the highest level, and we get what is called the, the um, cult of the celebrity, which happens not only just in movies and TV, but even in churches and other places where individuals are put up on a pedestal and bowed down to as if they become all important. And other people who are not important can be canceled and rejected. The last tenet of, of humanism, and I know that I may be, may be uh, generalizing a little bit, but the last tenet is, is actually a socialistic one world view. That all of these things uh, suggest that the world needs to be run by the humanist elite, big government um, that has everyone that that's, has their hand in everybody's pocket. Big government tells us, as the nanny state, what we are to do from the birth to the grave. And that's because humanists know exactly what to do. And those who don't know what to do are just petty um, religionists who don't know anything, who are ignorant and dumb, and that's why the government needs to control us and tell us what to do. But this is really those tenets of humanism that are not biblical. The, the Bible doesn't tell us that there is no right or wrong. It doesn't tell us that we were evolved from, from anyone. It doesn't say that God doesn't exist, and nor does it say that man is measure of all these things or the cultures that we might make based upon these are true. As a matter of fact, what we need to do, number two, is to research and understand and develop for our church as a disciple for the people that we teach biblical worldview. Now, I know that there are a lot of people argue about what is the biblical worldview, and there are a lot of people who talk about the biblical worldview, but I'm going to suggest that the first thing that we need to do as believers in Jesus Christ is to come to a recognition of the key factor of all of life, the key process of all of life, the key truth of all of life, and I believe that is found in Genesis 1.1 when it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That is, God created all of it. God created it in such a way to give us free will, but God created us to be able to know him and to have a relationship with him. If he created us, then he created us with an ability to reason. But reason doesn't become God in itself. He created us with an ability to have feelings, but feelings don't become God. And he created us with the ability to interact with other people, but they don't become God either. God created us, and he created us with an intense desire to know him. I think that's really what drives us to wonder if he's there and to know him because he created us in his image. He gave us a need for companionship, not just for man not to be alone, but man to know God. No man is an island alone unto himself, the poet once said. 
Christ and Christ alone answers these needs. And it's all involved in the fact that God created the heavens and the earth. Now the heavens were without form and void. They were empty. There was nothing in them. And it seemed as if darkness would win because it was all over the face of the deep. But in the end of verse 2, it tells us a critical issue that the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And through the Holy Spirit of God, God created the worlds. And in verse 3, it starts out by telling us, God said, let there be light. Our light to understand and to know comes when we accept and recognize and begin to place and, and work our lives based upon this primary first tenet, that God exists, that God created us, and that God wants to have a relationship with us. That relationship is through Jesus Christ. That relationship gives us moral foundations. It gives us the understanding of what is right and what is wrong and how to relate and how to learn and how to grow and how to be successful in all of life when we come to that recognition and give God his rightful place, not only in the universe, but in our hearts. If you ignore God, you don't have anything to replace him with. That's what humanism, secular humanism tries to do. It tries to say there's other ways to accomplish things, other ways to be able to get by and to be successful. But the biblical worldview says, first of all, you've got to come and know that God exists and that God should be in all of our lives and in our relationship and in our hearts and in the work we do. Biblical worldview looks to the Bible and recognizes it as the word of God. It sees man as God sees us, not as we see ourselves. God sees us as his own personal creation. He owns us. At, though we sinned against him in the garden, but God still didn't reject us out of hand. He loved us so much that he made it possible for us to be recipient of God's salvation in Jesus Christ. That Jesus died on the cross to reconcile us back to God, to bring us back to that right relationship that we should have. The system out in the world doesn't have that. It doesn't have the right foundation. It doesn't have the right presuppositions. A compassionate worldview is built on the servanthood of man. It's built on morality. It's built on the fact that we are created. It's built on the fact that God does exist. Our marriages work because God exists. Our society will work because God exists. If we follow him, churches will grow because God exists. Families will be strengthened because God exists. Personal relationships will be right because God exists. When I say, who am I and where did I come from? The answer is, I come from God and God loved me because I was created in his image. One individual wrote once, I am a person of worth created in the image of God to relate and live. Jesus is the one who said, I am the way, the life, and the truth. And no one comes to the Father except by me. We can say 
that the biblical worldview is, number three, the foundation for true wisdom. Secular humanism doesn't work, but true wisdom does. Years ago, true wisdom suggested that God existed. In fact, our Constitution and said that we should not make any laws pertaining to religion, but if you read through the Declaration of Independence and the other documents, they accepted God's existence. True wisdom says that our wisdom comes from the Bible, that God created us, God created our soul. Humanism says that man does not have a soul, but the Bible clearly indicates that we were created living beings with a soul to know and relate to God. The Bible talks about civil morality. If you take a look at the Ten Commandments, the first four of them talk about our relationship with God, but the next six talk about our relationship with each other. Our relationship with God impacts our relationship with each other. We learn that stealing is wrong, that bearing false witness is wrong, that murder is wrong, that adultery is wrong, that covetousness is wrong. We learn that God told us to honor our parents and the family. In fact, God told the prophet Amos that we are to let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty ever-flowing stream. The whole understanding of civil morality comes from our faith in God and our discipleship of Jesus Christ. The wisdom from the Bible tells us that we can become servants of God and becoming servants of God, we become servants of other. And we become aware of God and his existence in our life when we see him working through the power of the Holy Spirit. Those who have faith in God understand that we can know his existence, not because we can prove it logically with empirical um, evidence, but we know of his existence because he inhabits our heart in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is in our hearts to remind us and teach us of the power and the, and the importance of our faith in him. The Bible helps us to learn a compassionate worldview, one of joy that we give by loving and serving one another. The Bible teaches us how to go share with others the key fundamental principle of life as we share with them the gospel and the message of the gospel, that they will know that there is hope and there is joy and there is peace, true soul satisfaction and peace in Jesus. And we can learn how to relate to others in that way and care for others in that way. The biblical worldview really is a worldview of care and compassion and love. Jesus loved us so much that he died on the cross for our sins. And we are called to love others because they are individuals for whom Christ died. The secular humanistic worldview is bankrupt. The biblical worldview has the key and true foundation for wisdom. I wouldn't be up here speaking about this if I didn't believe it to be the case. I know that it's important to recognize our humanness, but I know that the real answer to life is to recognize our humanness comes as a gift from God. 
not from ourselves, and it needs to be exercised under God's leadership and care in our faith in Him. There was a Russian dissident, I can't even say her name, Tatiana Gorosheva or something like that. She wrote a book called Talking About God is Dangerous, The Diary of a Russian Dissident. She grew up in the atheistic culture of Russia or the Soviet Union at the time. She was an outstanding philosophy student. She had become the pride of the Marxist society, which is based on secular humanism. She said, I was on a journey from nowhere to nowhere. I had no roots and would go into an empty, meaningless future. My life only began when God found me. Did you hear that? My life began when God found me. Or when she found God, she believed in God. And the question for us is, have we found God? Do we believe that he is there and he loves us and he gave his son for Jesus, for our sins, Jesus Christ on the cross? Really, the public school as they are now can't teach us that. That's something we have to teach our children. We have to teach the world. I'm not going to go into the argument of Christian education versus public school education, but I think we have to educate. We have to tell people that humanism, bereft of God, has the wrong foundation and the wrong presuppositions. But the Bible and the biblical worldview does. Many of you may have heard of Ted Turner. For years he was uh, the head of uh, CNN or cable networks news, you know, a big magnet, big mover and shaker in our country. Well, he once said Christians are losers. Well, I'd like to say today, I think that the worldview that ignores God, rejects him, removes him from our everyday life, doesn't recognize his power, his authority, his ownership of the entire world. Remember, Genesis says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth, that's everything. He created us and he made us. And he even loved us when we sinned against him so that he gave his son Jesus to die on the cross to bring us back to him. Are we going to live for him and find him? We need to take a stand and tell others that God is our God, that he exists and that he loves us. We're going to sing uh, this morning our invitation hymn. And call the musicians to come up here. Um, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And ask the Lord to guide us as we live our life out there in the midst of the turmoil and the strife. The answer is to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let's stand and sing. <laughs>